episode R009 of Reboots is sponsored by Zuzu's Cartoons, created by our featured guest, Zoe Sugg. Her first comic strip, a result of a six-year-old's procrastination. She should have been cleaning her room. And while her mom was amused by her daughter's creative burst, Zoe says she did clean her room that day. And now Zoe frequents Comic-Con events and is involved with a global collaboration called They Have Issues. Her current personal project is called Rebomb. Check it out on her website, zuzucartoons.com. A link is in the show notes. Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over, either through their own missteps or through no fault of their own. All walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down, stories with heart, soul, and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Now, here's your host, Tracy Winchell. If you've listened to Reboots, you know we get pretty real on this show. So let's just start real with this episode. There are those who might pass our next guest on a busy urban street and assume that the flaming pink hair signifies a woman with a free, undisciplined spirit. Um, well, that would be a mistake. Zoe Sugg's hairstyle is a personal branding decision that helps her network at comic conventions where she markets her work and seeks commissioned projects. In this interview, we're going to find out why she was forced to reboot her brand through no fault of her own, and that's part of the idea for the pink hair. Zoe shares with us her keys to overcoming fear in the creative process, how she maintains discipline, as well as inspiration. And this is pretty cool. She tells us her secret for creating unique dialogue for her characters. It's a pretty cool hack, and it makes me want to be more careful about what I say in a grocery store. Yeah, let's get to it. Hey, Zoe, I'm so happy to have you on my Reboots podcast. Hiya. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. This was super cool. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. Well, we met sort of in a happenstance way, and I'm so glad that I met you. Tell me about what you do for a living all around. Uh, yeah. Um, in addition to the comic books, I also work for WP Live. So you called me because um, we were, I think, I don't even remember, there was some like technical issue, right, with your website that we were trying to rebuild? Oh, Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it was, it was the funniest thing. Cause I, uh, I told my team about this afterwards. I was like, guys, guys, I just scored an interview. Go check out reboots. <laughs> well, I've told everybody I scored an interview. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. It's, um, cause a lot of people like ask, you know, cause they want to know, you know, oh, you, you, you work with WordPress. Do you have a website? And so I, I give out my website to a lot of people. Um, but it was, just, it was the funniest thing. Cause then I hear you kind of, you're clicking around and scrolling and, I'm, I'm, you know, buried in code over here on my end, so I'm like kind of paying attention. And then all of a sudden, I hear, "Can I interview you?" <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the WP Live. I'm just going to plug your your full time gig. Had a website crash, and I had to start over because I made a ton of rookie mistakes. And 
now that I've called in professional help and you guys are little by little helping me rebuild a brand new site that will be better than ever and I have complete confidence that when I do build it right, I won't be just hunting and pecking around by mistake trying to find stuff and make it go that I, that you guys are teaching me as we go and I have a f- better understanding of all of the foundation stuff. And you guys are great at telling me this is how this works, but don't ever touch it again. <laughs> yep. Yeah, um, I have been in love with WordPress and most open source software um, since I was in college because, you know, you can do, I mean, it's not only WordPress, there's um, there's OpenOffice, which is like, like Microsoft Word, but it doesn't cost anything, and your WordPress, which is like a lot of website developers, but it's all done by the community. So, A, you can find almost anything out there. Like there's an app, well, yeah, there's uh, a plugin, which is basically an app um, for almost every single function for either no money or like maybe 80 to 100 bucks, which in, you know, by comparison, if a developer were to build a site for you, that's like thousands of dollars. And you can do everything in WordPress yourself with enough YouTube videos. And it's so nice. With enough YouTube videos and enough hair, because you're going to pull some out before it's over. I have shut down my website twice, (laughs) trying to like code things. So let's talk about your website. That's that's what intrigued me while we were talking and I was interrupting you because <laughs> I was so fascinated by your side hustle. And it's really not I guess it's not technically a side hustle. That's your passion. Tell me about about your your cartooning gig and all your products and your website. Yeah. Um yeah, so the website Host kind of my solo project right now. It's called Rebomb. It's a webcomic about a girl who promises her girlfriend she's giving up video games for good, but when the game world starts to leak out into the real world, she has to beat all of that back while also keeping the fact that she's still gaming a secret. Um, and it's been a ton of fun. I'm releasing chapter five soonish, probably another month or so, I think, um, from the date that we record. So I don't really know when that's going to be, depending on when we release. But um, but yeah, so that hosts Rebomb, but then I also have links to several of my other projects, including a Kickstarter that went international, um, which is about ladies working in comic book shops, because that was my job before I was at WP Live. So your cartoon series are typically autobiographical then? Yeah, they come from, I mean, I think all stories come from... Um, a certain personal perspective. I mean, they just, they have to in order for you to be invested in them. But, uh, yeah, I, um, they have issues was, uh, it actually featured, it featured me talking to the ghost of Walt Kelly. So like realistic fiction, I guess that's what we can call that. Right. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Auto autobiographical with liberties. There we go. I like that one. But, um, (laughs) But in that one, like, so for, for as ridiculous as that premise is, uh, in my contribution to They Have Issues, I uh, actually have a conversation with one of my friends, and it came from a real conversation where I was just, like, really discouraged because, you know, you're working in, like, a small business, and you don't really know if anyone's going to, like, notice you, and uh, and my friend was just, she came in, and um, she was just like, you know, hey, like, I'm an accountant, and people don't come to my job to hang out and, you know have fun and but you provide that you're this solace for people um mm-hmm. and you repre- you represent and you recommend so much good media which people need at the end of their days 
um, just to come home to, um, and to, you know, provide catharsis and and whatnot. So she kind of kicked me back into gear, I think. Um, and, and that conversation was basically just verbatim, like taken and put into my comic for they have issues, but that's really cool. Yeah. (laughs) And then she also is like, not a big, like, um, extrovert, like, Oh, look at me person. So she tells me this after I've published this international comic where like I have her by name. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, I did good. <laughs> so it's good that you're besties then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. She is uh she is one of my dearest friends. There's uh there's her and then there's a lady up in Flagstaff that plays violin and she's great. <laughs> so how, how long have you had this entrepreneurial creative spirit? When did you first figure that out? Oh man, the first time I ever drew a comic strip, I was six. Because I remember bringing this comic strip to my mom about a girl who didn't want to clean her room. And my mom <laughs> looks at this comic <laughs> and then looks at me and goes, I don't think this is about this girl is it and I'm like uh she's like is this what you were doing while you were supposed to be cleaning your room and I'm like maybe (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it was great uh and you know my mom was great she like reinforced that because you know she reads it she's like this is very funny now go clean your room (laughs) she did enforce what she originally asked you to do but also managed to encourage you yeah yeah mom was really good about like not just letting me like hippy dippy all over the place but also like, but she never like squashed my creative spirit or anything like that. And my father was a musician um, and his brother is actually also a cartoonist. So like there's so much like art in my family that it was kind of impossible to not like flourish with that. So your mom's used to the creative kind of personality then. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. she was really good at like, you know, making sure that we, that we all grew up and, and knew what we were supposed to do. But like, she was also really good about, you know, um, I don't know, just promoting that. I think uh, promoting that creative spirit when I was 10, that was the first time that I ever actually approached somebody with like, here's my comic publish this because I like I just stomped up to my elementary school uh, principal this is like after like a pep rally or something too so like completely inappropriate time for this I just I just kind of like walk up to her because she's accessible like right now instead of being in her office and uh and I waltz up and I'm like hey I kind of tug on her like jacket and she Miss Appel turns around looks down at me she's like hello Zoe what's going on I'm like you don't have a comic in your parent newsletter I can make a comic and she just sort of she sort of blinks at me and is like, yeah, sure. Why not? So uh, so every month for I guess I must have been in fourth grade at that time. And I moved away from that school about, well, there was like a moving thing. I guess I moved back. So I guess from fourth to sixth grade until I left that elementary school, I was doing a monthly comic. I just scribbled it on eight and a half by 11 paper and turned it in and they Xeroxed it and put it in the newsletter. <laughs> That is so. the coolest. Thanks. That was it was fun. I still have little like paper clippings of that somewhere. When did you first get paid for your art? Oh, um good question. When did I get paid? I I guess I'll say it was as late as college. I definitely did, you know, little um, 
greeting cards for friends. And uh, I painted for um, most of the places I've worked. I've done artwork for. But um, but I guess the first time I had like a paying cartooning gig would have been in college. And uh, it was a daily strip. And I think we got like something like not not a whole lot. Something like um, probably about like five bucks an hour, I guess. It was like 50 bucks a week, something like that. It was like a nice stepping stone. But um, I, I didn't frame the check or anything like that. From my experience with a lot of my friends who are creative and want to start a side hustle with their art and their talent and their skill, it's really hard for them to ask someone to publish their stuff or buy their stuff. And here you are at 10 years old. And you've already got that part figured out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I did move around a lot as a kid. I, I kind of mentioned I moved back and forth when I was in fifth grade. Um, and, and I did. I moved seven times before I was 10. And so I had to learn to make friends real fast. And um, yeah, so and my mom was always just uh, she's one of those people that just talks to everyone. Like we could be going to the grocery store and be like walking up to the cart and then she'll be, you know, she'll just see a mom who has something interesting. And then I'm standing in the parking lot for like 30 minutes while my mom talks to this woman <laughs> and, uh, and all three of the kids give her crap about that. But, um, but that was, you know, very much like when I, when I was really small and trying to figure out, you know, all the, these kids, like, you know, we're over at the playground and I'm new and like what, and, um, and yeah. And I just, I sort of copied my mom in the way that she would just talk to everybody. And I sort of just had to figure out how to make friends because otherwise I was going to wind up being real lonely. Um, so yeah, so I pretty early on, I um, figured out how to like approach people and talk to them. And somewhere in probably about high school, I realized that if you act fabulous, people will just sort of buy it until you've kind of proven it enough <laughs> that like, yeah, you can you can talk big, I guess, and and worry about proving it later. As long as you know what your abilities are, um, you know, I've I've definitely just waltzed up to people and been like, "Hey, this would be a cool project for us to do. We should just start it." And well, I mean, heck, that was they have issues actually. So two years ago, I put that in play when I was like, um, I was on a forum called the Valkyries, which is all ladies who work in comic book shops. It's an amazing support group. Um, it's just it's a really cool network just internationally of all these women working in shops and sharing their stories and freaking out about like fandoms and like new you know comics that come out and it's amazing so a lot of us because we work in comic book shops are cartoonists and uh i posted on the forum and went um you know hey guys a lot of us are cartoonists it would be kind of cool if we wanted to like do a project or do a comic on that like what do you think and then adjust like hours later, you know, 50 something odd comments on this forum, you know, a bunch of likes. And, uh, and then I was like, Oh, I guess I have to do this now. It was very much like, you know, would we want to maybe talk about doing something? And then all of these comments were, yes, do it. I want to be a part of it. And so it, I kind of defaulted to being in charge of this huge project that I did not plan on being in charge of. Um, but it was very much one of those where like, okay, so people think this is a good idea. I should jump on this before somebody else takes it, of course. And, um, they seem to think I'm the person that's going to be running this since I suggested it. So 
sure, I guess we'll do this. I guess I'm in charge of you guys now. And, um, and it went amazingly well for being like my first ever multi authored project with people that like I hadn't met before. Like there's a uh, whole people that I've just interacted with online for this project. Um, even still, I've met like a good half of them now. Um, but, oh, uh, wait, back up just but, a second. You, oh, yeah? so you met all of these people online and you've actually gone face to face with half of them. Yeah. Um, conventions are so cool. Uh, because yeah, I, uh, I, after they have issues launched and it got, you know, a fair amount of attention, I applied at Emerald city comic con and Chicago comic con for what's called a professional badge which is where you're in the industry and they just pay for your ticket in. You don't get like a table or anything like that, but you're enough of a, you know, somebody that they go, yeah, our con would benefit from having you here. Um, so it's really cool. It's, it's an amazing system. Um, so I applied, I got in and then, yeah, you know, a good half of my contributors were also going to this convention. So I would be interacting with somebody like at a booth and I'd hear, you know, Zoe, cause you, cause the, I have half of my hair is pink, so I'm pretty recognizable. And, uh, you know, I turn and you go, oh, my gosh, I recognize this person from Facebook. And we do the, like, <laughs> run and hug thing. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was the coolest. It was so cool meeting all these people for the first time and having an instant connection because you've done this project together, even though you've never, like, spoken before, just, just online. So I'm, I'm learning how to do a proof of concept. Did did you do that on purpose when you were in your support group or did you did it was was it just sounds like it was just kind of a whoa this there is a demand for this so I'm going to jump on it. Did, yeah. Do, do you use that strategy as you're working considering your next projects like if you've got 10 ideas do you do a proof of concept on a couple till you find one that works? Um, I am learning how to do that, I think. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, <laughs> because, uh, with, um, so with Rebomb, it's doing fairly well, but before that I did actually have a series that I was trying and, uh, I'm a big believer in that whole, uh, you know, there's only seven original ideas in the world. So like, um, not don't bother being original, but don't bother having a, don't bother worrying if you have a premise that six other people have, you know, if you have your own brand and your own um message behind like a basic concept then i don't really worry about if my basic concept is similar to other things because that's that's been happening throughout the course of human history um so i didn't worry about the fact that i had a zombie comic in 2012 when walking dead was really really popular <laughs> so everybody was making knockoff zombie comics um and so, yeah, and so it was one of those where that that did teach me, like, okay, that that's a cool concept. You can only take it so far um, because it was very much like I, I've gone back and read my old, old material and for being um, where I was in college, because you know, there's some stuff that's, like, rough, but uh, but I can go back and look at it and be like, yeah, you know, this was really good. These characters had great dynamics. So, yeah, so definitely have learned to key into some of that more, um, but it's not... It's a, it's probably, I have a lot to learn in that field, I think. Yeah. Don't you think we'll always be learning? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, there's a Cyanide and Happiness comic, 
Uh, that is very NSFW. Um, don't don't look this up unless you're like bored and you like South Park. Um, <laughs> but um, but it's called Cyanide and Happiness, and uh, there's it's like this these two stick figures having a conversation, and one of them goes, you know, oh man, every time I do something new, I, I never like it. And their friend chimes in with like, no, you, oh, I've heard of this. This is called the artist's curse because you're always growing and improving. You never like your old stuff. Isn't that great? And they just zoom in on the first guy's face. <laughs> and he's just, he's just heartbreak incarnate. I can identify it's, it's with great. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what, what specific advice would you have for – a creative person who wants to learn how to make a living, even if it's a side hustle off of their art or their skill or their talent, what advice would you have for someone who's afraid of saying, will you publish this or will you give me money for this? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing is more marketing than, uh, than, talking to people, I think, but finding a niche is super important. So, you know, for the have issues, it was specifically women in comic shops. I know several people that are in the industry now that started out as comic book colorists because there's never enough colorists in the world, um, colorists and letterers. So they start there in those you know kind of small, like needed fields. And then they work their way up to, you know, now they're doing like some cover art for some co- comic books and things like that. Um, so keying into what people need, I think, is super important. Because as much as you have to walk into a room and be like, I'm fabulous, you also have to be like, here's why you should be invested in seeing me do well. Um, so catering to something that not a lot of people have, it, it has worked for me really well. Um, and then, yeah, as far as strolling up to people um, and asking them for money, it's... Well, I guess, especially for a lot of artists, uh, I don't really, I feel like this carries over into other industries, though. Um, And this is actually, you see this with Kickstarter all the time, where somebody presents a project and they go, hey, wouldn't this be super cool to see this happen? Here's the thing, I have a full-time job. So you need to motivate, and not even, that's not even motivation, it's, uh, it's making up for lost time, I think is a way of putting that. You know, because if you if you want to see somebody complete something like with my webcomic, my webcomic is not paid for at all because that allows me to just update when I feel like it, <laughs> whatever. Um, you're getting this for free. Um, whereas like uh, my if they have issues was because it was a paid project. It was like, OK, we have to get this done by April. This is done, you know, by this month. And it's much more um, on. It's just it has deadlines because you have people counting on you. So. Yeah. So I guess uh, I guess it's one of those like if you want to see this done, give me some money, I guess. And that's the flip side of this is where do you find that motivation? And I think it sounds like what you're saying is that proof of concept and show me the money is important. You sound like, you know, going back to childhood, you were an incredibly disciplined person with your art so for you your craft is not a whim it is a discipline definitely how do you approach yeah how do you approach that that 
discipline. Um, do you do you draw every day or every week? Is there a set schedule? How does that work for you? Um, I guess it's it's almost the opposite as far as discipline goes. I'm I'm a little bit ADD. I have like two two ongoing comic projects right now. I just finished like literally ten minutes before we started this interview. Finished uploading another video onto YouTube. Um, I, I have like a good four or five things that I'm working on at any given time. So, um, you know, Saturday morning, uh, right now is my time to work on stuff, but what I'm working on could be the horror comic I just finished for an anthology. It could be my web comic and it depends on where my headspace is. And I sit down and channel that into one of these projects. Um, so yeah, so that's, yeah, I, I really don't have to quote unquote make myself do anything. Um, but I also have so much flexibility in what I do that I can work on whatever I want to, I guess. Um, and as far as the discipline goes, as far as like, you know, will something get done? Show me the money, stuff like that. Um, there's things like my, my web comic will get done. I have, you know, I have it planned. I have it, you know, all written for the most part. There's like two or three things I need to fill in, but I have a beginning and an end. But right now, because there's no, um, because I have not sought to monetize it, it means that I can do it whenever. Whereas, um, in order, if you're approaching somebody as a business, that's where this, um, you know, I, I need this much money to manifest this. That's where that comes into play because that is a measurable, um, Gosh, I don't know. What would you call a, a measurable motivation? So as as far as discipline versus whim goes, I guess to use your your vocabulary when you're talking about me creating, um, whim is always present. Like there's always a motivation to create. Um, and I think even beyond artists, you know, there's people that do uh, – that do um, one of my clients actually with WP live does like glass windows. And it's like a fairly, you know, you don't think of that as being like a, a master craftsman kind of thing. That's not what comes to most people's mind, but it takes so much skill and so much. You, you have to like measure and you make sure everything's going to like work correctly. And he's driven to do that. That's exciting to him to finish that project. And I feel like that carries over into most entrepreneurs but where the discipline comes in, where the show me the money in order to get this, that is because you're you're working this whim with yourself out with someone else. And you have to show this second party. Um, you have to, I guess, show them that you are motivated to get it done. And so whether that's, you know, they're paying you, which is like a contract between you that they pay you, this gets done. Um, or even just like when they have issues, we weren't sure how much money we were going to make with it originally. So it was very much, uh, okay. Um, make give me this much product. It's done by this time. And then, and I actually had them sign contracts. You will get this amount of work done by this time in exchange. You will get this many, you will get like this percentage of copies of the book. And then if we make our Kickstarter goals, you will get more copies, more money, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, that's where the discipline comes in is because you have to have that material um, component in there to measure your workload against other people's expectations. 
that was like a huge dissertation, but <laughs> no, I'm 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 fascinated by it, and I'm ready to write this stuff down <laughs> so that I can apply it. Oh, cool! Thanks. <laughs> and I'm wondering, have you have you ever been afraid to make something all the time? All the time. <laughs> um, I. You sure don't. You don't act like well, it. Well, that's, that's where that, you know, I'm fabulous comes in. You know, you have to walk in and just be like, yeah, I got this, whatever. A project with 18 creators that win international, sure, it's fine, no pressure. Um, that I mean, that was They Have Issues. I literally uh, realized I was in charge of that many people. Because before, you know, it's 18 people who ended up making work and turning it in. We had a good 30 to 50 people, like, originally clamoring to be part of it somehow. Um, and I literally walked into my comic shop the next day, my coworker looks at me and they're like, Oh, how's it going? What's, you know, what's, what's going on with you? And I just turn and I look at her and I'm like, ah, (laughs) this this slow, like panic. (laughs) Um, and I explain, I am a zombie. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. No, my brain was just like, just static. Like, Oh my God, I have to do this. I have to do this huge thing now. And, uh, and yeah, it was very much just like, okay. <laughs> so, but yeah, but, uh, but a lot of that is, you know, you, you freak out next to your friends and your coworkers and, and you present a very capable together human being. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I wish I could learn to do that. Yeah. Well, and it's funny too, cause, um, even, even for as much as I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I, I have it so together all the time. Um, the other, I guess, kind of, um, gosh, what, of paramount importance with that is also making sure that you can handle when you don't meet expectations. So I actually, um, several times with my contributors was like, you know, hey, um, get this deadline into me. I'm going to have such and such ready by next week. And then next week rolls along and somebody comments, hey, that thing you were going to do. And, and that's when I just write like, yeah, guys, sorry. You know, it's a, here's its progress. It's about halfway done. Um, I just had, and not like, I just had so much in my life come up, but just like, yeah, hey, I dropped the ball. It's about halfway done. I'm shooting for it in a couple days. Um, and even I had somebody uh, message me about one of her, one of her Kickstarter rewards didn't come through. And, uh, and I missed it. It was very much like, you know, I, I go and I look at my Kickstarter backers uh, report and go, oh, <laughs> Um, and so I responded to her and was just like, Hey, um, I'll be honest with you. I lost track of that, but you know, Hey, I'll, I'll happily give you a refund. Uh, if you want like some extra swag, you know, whatever you want. And she wrote back and was just like, no, that's not necessary at all. Your your honesty was really impressive. Like, thanks. And, uh, and that was the end of that. Um, so I think that's also important is being, is handling when you don't, when you, when you've dropped the ball. And, and not being like, this is the worst thing ever. I'm so, you know, oh, this is, uh, I am so sorry. Um, but also not being, yeah, I totally have that. It's just, it's, you know, it's these, because I've had people, um, you know, oh, I can't meet my deadline. It's because this didn't send. I don't know why, you know, my email isn't working. <laughs> and it's like, okay, just, just handle it. Just say you're sorry and move on. Um, and that has seemed to work very well for me in the past. I, yeah, I've missed a good a good chunk of things just because life gets in the way. And um, I don't think I've ever had anybody um, come to 
come to confrontation about me missing anything, which is, you know, pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, artists are notorious for missing deadlines. We're the worst. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So tell me about your biggest failure. All right. So okay. uh, biggest failure, that would probably be the zombie comic that I referenced a little while ago. Um, and I call it my biggest failure because I just, I had so much that went right for that comic. Um, you know, I had a lot of marketing ploys, you know, down. I had, I just, I had a lot with that comic and, um, and it just didn't pick up, you know, just people were just not feeling it. And, um, and the two things I would change differently if I had to go back and do it again are, I would probably sit on it. I would wait to release it until the zombie comic phenomena had kind of died off. Um, and, uh, and I would have quit while I was ahead because I was working on hired guns for uh, almost three or four years. It was most of the time that I was in college and, uh, and rebomb only happened, I think end of college or when I was just out of college and, um, and rebomb has been way more successful despite the fact that it's uh, writing wise, probably on par with hired guns. Um, so I think that, and that's where, you know, where your failures teach you things. Um, when I did rebomb, I, I very much like, I, I searched for gaming comics. I searched for romance comics. I basically sat down and made a list of genres that rebomb catered to, and then looked all of those up and made sure that like, n that nothing, um, that nobody could easily point to a series and be like, Oh, this is just like this. It like it took elements because, you know, that's back to my seven original ideas thing. Everything comes from somewhere. Um, so um, so there was a so there was a lot that was similar between Rebomb and other comics, but nothing nothing was like uh, a copy, I guess. So. Um, so, yeah, so that's I, I did. I did do a little more research on Rebomb before I launched it. I didn't do the uh, what was the the prod prod project thing you were just telling me about where you shop around an idea. Oh, proof of concept. Proof of concept. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or product validation. Oh, okay, that makes. I've sense. been reading a. I've been reading and watching a lot of YouTube's on that this week. So that's kind of it's kind of fresh on my yeah, mind. Yeah, I think that's my term of the day. I'm going to look that up later. Yeah, I've got I've got about five or six ideas for either an email um, course or even a video series. And I just can't figure out which one to do. And so I'm learning how to narrow it down and at least give it a shot, you know, to, to poke around. I don't, I don't want to spend 50 hours doing something that's going to bomb. Yeah. <laughs> but a, a I don't mind spending eight hours of something and sending it to a hundred people and then kind of getting some ideas. Interesting. So I'm learning a lot about product validation. There's a, there's a really neat video series. Um, maybe it's not a series. Uh, check out videofruit.com. Brian Harris does a, a really neat job of, of explaining uh, a product validation and then um Noah Kagan has some stuff about that but I think Brian Harris is my favorite he he takes a 
an idea for a product and in 24 hours um, gives it a shot. And everything starts with an email list. Huh. Interesting. That's And he uses those things to do a product validation and to actually build the product. Oh, okay. That's like before we launch. That's really interesting because the more you talk about like what a product validation process looks like, the more I'm kind of wondering if I've done it because there's there's been projects and anthologies that I've applied to, and all you need to do for most of those things is submit your idea, and I'll submit you know two colored pages of like this is what it looks like if you hire me, um, and I've gotten into both projects I've done that for because it just makes you stand out a little bit because as you said I I don't mind putting four hours of work into something. You know, just to kind of make yourself look a little more shiny. Yeah. I mean, there there are a bunch of different ways to do it, but you know, we live in a world where we don't have to make something and ask people to buy it. We spend a little bit of time on something, and then see if people are interested in it, and then if they're not, we move along to the next one. Yeah. But I just, I just. I'm fascinated by that. I don't have to build a widget and see if there's a market for it. I get to ask people to buy it and then build the thing. Mm -hmm. You do that. It sounds like that's kind of your MO. Yeah, yeah. I think that's amazing. It's one, I mean, I, I mentioned I'm ADD and I have five projects at once, so I don't have a lot of room for more projects. Yeah, yeah, you get me. Um, so, yeah, so it's very much just like, here's what this looks like if you want to have me do it. <laughs> My racing brain sometimes just makes me crazy. Yeah. It just, it's, it's hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Without it, I don't know that I would be me. So, yeah, right. Definitely. Is yeah. you, you get so much, it, it, it's just, it's the way your brain's wired, you know? You're just little, little, well, actually, my YouTube channel, uh, the description for it is where plot bunnies go to die because I have like all these little things. And I'm like, this would make such a cute description. But, you know, it's, you're not going to do a full comic on it. So like, here's a two minute video here. <laughs> I want to see that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's fun. It's a lot of the stuff that I come up with, with, um, my boyfriend or other friends and, uh, you just kind of just throw it out there and it's, you know, a minute and a half long. It's a cute joke. Um, also it's nice cause I have so many friends that are like, I'll check out your webcomic at some point. My webcomic is like 60 pages long. They're not going to get around to doing that. <laughs> so here, here's a two minute video. <laughs> So can I add a link to the show to my show notes to your show notes? Yeah, there? definitely. Uh, my YouTube the, channel is okay. also Zuzu Cartoons. So I can't believe I missed that. Um, yeah, I think I have one link to it on my homepage, but because they're uh, yeah, okay. because it's like so small, I don't really promote it too much. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay, we just kind of had a little uh, ADD moment together. I yeah. Think. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, talk to me about, I mean, the show's called Reboots. Talk to me about, you know, life isn't just unicorn and roses for your business and your creative life. Talk to me about that time when you had to start over. Oh, man, that time. Okay, so uh, uh, my name is Zoe Nicole Sugg. And my entire life, I have been the only Zoe Sugg within, well, I mean, ever. Um, I think there are, there's a few other Suggs out in the world, several other Zoes. It's gotten more popular. Um, but but that's it. It's just been me. 
So I owned the Zoe Sug Twitter, the Zoe Sug Instagram. Like my name was just my handle across all of my social media. And then, and then this YouTuber popped up. And, uh, and it was almost, it was really funny because, so her name is Zoella. Um, she, that was her, her brand. Um, she had, she does a lot of stuff for tweens. I think it's like a beauty channel thing. And it sort of just, uh, kind of took off and you did like the rest of her life. So, um, so she got really, really popular and suddenly all of my social media was flooded with 12 year olds <laughs> asking either being disappointed that I wasn't the real Zoe Sug, which that just that just hurts a little bit. You know, and part of you was like, I'm gonna get my birth certificate and show these teeny boppers get off my lawn. Uh, of course, none of them cared. <laughs> um, and uh, or not thinking that, you know, because I just had a Zoe Sug, you know, Twitter, a lot of other people have Zoe Sug number one fan, you know, whatever, not even thinking that I was that that was me. And just being like, hey, can I have your username? Can I like buy your username for like 50 bucks? Um, so yeah, so even the people that weren't, you know, being, uh, you know, pain about it, just, just flooded my accounts. No one cared that I was doing artwork. Um, and, uh, and to make matters worse, she's the sweetest. Like I actually, my best friend, uh, the, the violin playing one um, up in Flagstaff, uh, she actually was talking to me. I was, I was so angry about it. And she actually was talking to me. She's like, let's just look up her YouTube channel. Let's just like see what she's like. We look her up. She's this adorable, happy, peppy British lady. Like she's impossible to hate. <laughs> Which makes it worse. Yeah, right. I'm just like, dang it. None of this is your fault. <laughs> of course, millions of people love you. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it was, and it was just, that was the worst for me was it was nothing, you know, hired guns, right? It, uh, it bombed and that was fine. I made a thing. It didn't do well. I owned it. I moved on. This was so frustrating um, and so hard to get over because I hadn't done anything. She just happened to me. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, and it's just, it's just, you know, all of a sudden overnight, you know, um, I lost my, I, I basically lost my social media and, uh, and I was fighting it real hard for a good um, probably a year or so. Um, and it, it definitely didn't like, you know, the first couple of months of that year were like, Oh, I don't know why these people think I'm not, well, whatever. And then the end of the year was just like, Oh my gosh, no one is interacting with actually me on social media. Um, so, so at some point about the end of the year, I realized that basically I was not checking into any of my social media accounts because it was just too like, too much to like handle or deal with, um, which also wasn't good, right? You need to, as a creator, you need to be promoting on social media. That's if you're approaching a publisher, they do look at how many followers you have on Twitter. Um, also Zuzu cartoons. If anybody wants to help me out with that, I've only got like 200, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, yeah, so it just, it was, you know, it wasn't good for my business at that point. It was making me unhappy. It was, you know, so I went, finally I went, all right, I gotta, I gotta rebrand. I got to find something. And coincidentally, about two weeks before in the comic shop that I worked at, one of the magic players, and for those of you who aren't familiar with comic book culture, um, magic players are basically the regulars at a bar. They like, they come in, you know, multiple times a week to do different card game tournaments. So like, you know, these guys. Um, so my buddy, Matt, at some point said, uh, Hey, your name is like so unique. And it always reminds me of 
Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender. It's like this little animated kid series that like everybody grew up with. And uh, and of course, this character was like my favorite because he's this little like edgy 17 year old. And so little little 12 year old Zoe was about this. <laughs> and um, and I went, dude, you can totally call me Zuko. I don't I don't care. That would be great. And uh, and he's like, no, 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 Zuzu, because the character's nickname from childhood is Zuzu. And I went, yeah, sure. Like that. I, I love it. Sure. Why not? Well, so then he starts calling me Zuzu and I'm like, oh, whatever. It's cute, cute inside joke between us, whatever. And then the rest of the regulars start calling me Zuzu. And so like literally half of my comic shop refers to me as Zuzu and the other half of them don't know my real name. <laughs> and, uh, and so it, it just kind of caught up and I went, all right, well this, uh, like, this is actually my nickname. And at some point, um, I was just kind of playing with, you know, what sounded good because I'm working on the rebrand process sort of in the background. And at some point, I just landed on Zuzu cartoons, and it just worked. Just like all the syllables were there. It's got a nice rhythm to it. And I went, yeah. Yeah, and was, so of course, the first thing you do is Google it to see if anybody else has that. And um, and nope. So that that's how I rebranded. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was, it was a year of denial and like, you know, I can, I can overcome this really sweet British lady across the sea and no. (laughs) So did it feel like personally that maybe you'd lost your entire identity? Yeah. Yeah, it did. Because, you know, growing up, I was one of one Zoe in, um, until high school, I was the only Zoe and, um, and no one had Zoe Sug. So you know, the fact that somebody can just like that just all of a sudden your identity can be ripped away from you. It was, yeah, it was a weird sensation because <laughs> not even, you know, I have a lot of friends that are named uh, Jessica or something. And there's, you know, 30 billion Jessica from from youth. You grew up with that. Yeah. Um, or my sister is Maddie and there's like several other Maddie. So you just you end up coming up with nicknames in childhood that sort of identify you. Um, and uh and yeah, you know, that that didn't happen for me because I was the oh, I was only me. <laughs> there was only ever one Zoe. And um, so, yeah. So the fact that just all of a sudden another Zoe Sug crawls out of the woodwork um, was it was weird. It was definitely one of those, you know, what like <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. How do you reconcile um, Zoe and Sug daughter? friend and this public persona of a cartoonist sometimes that can be hard (laughs) yeah um yeah it's really funny because i've had friends that i've been like you know because you're walking around comic-con um you're hustling you know you're like hey this is who i am this is what i'm about do a project with me and uh it is really hard the first couple times you take friends or significant others to comic-con to be like, hey, um, I'm going to walk around alone and you're not invited. <laughs> like, it's really it's it's really hard to do that. But uh, but there is a definite difference in how people treat me when I'm alone versus uh, when you because know, when when there's you and a group of friends, it's like, oh, here's this group of people and they're all kind of in a cluster and I'm trying to sell to all five of them at once. And oh, one of them's a cartoonist. Cool. I'll take the business card. Versus where you're just you and it's like, oh, this person has specifically come up to me, you know, they they must be invested in my work, you know, they are also a professional and it's just the, the mindset is two, two different experiences. Um, so yeah, so it is 
kind of important that if I'm walking around at Comic-Con, I need to be by myself. And that's really hard to say to somebody that you care about. Um, especially I've had people come, you know, come along with me and help me set up my artist alley booth. Um, and so, you know, and then I'll be hustling and then I'll be like, okay, bye. I'll see you at the end of the day. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's, <laughs> well, we don't normally meet our doctor's mother when we go to the emergency room. I know that's kind of a weird comparison, but yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect you, sense. Yeah, your doctor isn't a person. They're a professional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're going to fix me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well. So w- what about what about this reboot exists in your life, this requirement for a whole new identity exists now that otherwise wouldn't exist in your life right now for the good? Um, yeah. So actually it's interesting because when I, I, and I don't know if this is because when I rebranded Azuzu Cartoons, I was also fresh out of college and I'd had a few projects under my belt. So at this point I had experimented a little bit with marketing. Um, I had time on my hands because I was only working instead of being at college and having a job and everything. So I don't know if it was convenient for me to rebrand this way or if um, it would have happened anyway. You know, like if I if I hadn't become Zuzu Cartoons, would I still, you know, have my uh, have my brand so locked in? Um, but in any case, yeah, that was about the same time that I oops <laughs> knocked my pop filter into my face. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that was about the same time that I, um, that I, that I rebranded, I dyed half of my hair pink. Um, I was going to more shows. So it just sort of all, all at once it came to be that I, you know, designed my logo, my, every time I draw myself as a cartoon character, every time I'm out in public in my, my entire, uh, artist alley booth at Comic-Con, everything's just this like obnoxious, fabulous neon pink color. <laughs> and, uh, even your pop filter. Yeah, yeah, because I my pop filter is made right now for um for everybody at home, uh with like a cardboard box that I made into a frame and stretched nylons over, and the nylons I had laying around just happened to be neon pink. So here we go. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, it works. You sound great. Thanks. Good. Um, but yeah, so that so I I don't know you know I think it was just sort of a good time to just sort of key all of that in. Um, cause at the point now where I am terrible with faces and names, uh, but people recognize me because of my hairdo. So people will walk up, be like, oh, Hey, we met last year. We talked about this and that'll jog my memory enough that I'm like, oh, okay. So they do all the remembering for me. <laughs> wow. What a neat little hack for branding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if I took this from my job exactly, but it certainly helped. When I was 17, I actually worked in a clothing store and you got commissions for what, you know, what you sold people. And uh, you know, you'd have to give them your name and then they waltz up to the checkout and they'd say, oh, you know, this person helped me out. And they're not going to remember your name, said my manager. So what she would do, she's like, see how I'm wearing this like neon green beanie today. And, you know, yesterday I had this like big chunky necklace on. She's like, well, that's what you have to do, you wear something super, super uh, significant so that when the person gets up to the counter and they get asked who helped them, you know, they look around and go, uh, oh, that one, that one in the neon green beanie, because you're easy to point out or you're the person behind the counter knows who that is. They'll remember you. 
and no one has to remember anybody's name. <laughs> um, so it just, it was, and that, that definitely keys into me at Comic-Con because I meet so many people, even a day, even at, you know, my current job, we're meeting people whose websites I'm working on and, uh, and you just don't have the headspace for that. But if you have a really good conversation with somebody and they remember, oh, it was the girl who, you know, half of her head is pink. Um, it's easier for them to remember you than it is for you to remember them. So yeah, it's a nice, nice little trick. I love that. Thanks. Let's talk about support groups. We, we went, you talked about, um, early on in our conversation that you belong to a, a group of an online group of women who encourage one another how important is that as you try to remain sane and earn a living and with a full-time job and monetize your art? Yeah, um, any kind of support group is really, really important. I mean, I think I even mentioned early on when I was becoming an artist at six, the fact that my parents both understood that I needed to create, right? And they fostered that. Um, similarly with the Valkyries, uh, it's actually really interesting because I get all kinds of questions because I, I used to work in a comic book shop. I actually still volunteer at one in uh, Tempe, Arizona, Ash Avenue. Um, and I get questions all the time, like, oh, oh, what's it like being like a woman here in this like nerd cave where it's presumably all men? And, um, and first of all, that's not, well, okay. So actually in the back of your mind, you know, that you're not that unique, you know, other nerdy women, um, but having physical proof of that and having these other women around to be like, yeah, so and it's not even that's the really cool thing about the Valkyries is that a huge chunk of our conversation is not like, so this guy today, um, a lot of it is just like, hey, this new series is out or like, hey, uh, my store's copy of this comic got damaged. Can anyone send me a new one? And you know, somebody else is over here like I have seven like here, take one. Um but it just it's having proof, you know, that when the Valkyries started out and I wasn't around for this, but there were, you know, 50, 100 of them. There are now over 600 women in comic book shops all. And that's that's just the ones that belong to the Valkyries. That's not even, you know, the other people that don't even, you know, we exist or have stepped out of the group. Um, yeah. So it's it's this huge network and just just seeing that all the time. So if you, you know, if you have a day where you're like, all right, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm done. Um you stumble on home and uh, and you pull up Facebook and it's it's the coolest to just have all these people up here all being positive, all talking about something that you all love. Um, and I think that well, yeah. So because um, that was even what they have issues was about. It, it's not. Uh, it is all made by women in comic book shops, but the stories are crazy diverse. Some of them address sexism. Some of them uh, create like just talk about the power of fandom. There's this one amazing comic called my best friend it was originally going to be submitted anonymously because it's about this woman's best friend who had has a terminal illness so their love of comic books united them even to the point where as her friend is you know beginning to expire she the last line in that series or in that comic book says uh you're going to be just fine and it is the sweetest thing because it's it's all about how fandom unites us and how important comics are in our lives, regardless of, you know, your biological equipment. <laughs> um, you know, it's just it's how important these kind of things are. And that's what that support group does. It reminds you of where why you're in this job, what your priorities are 
and uh, and it recenters you. You know, even when you're not sure what you're doing or if you feel lost, it's uh, having a support group around you just just reminds you what's important and reminds you that you can do this. Wow. That's big stuff right there. Yeah. We yeah. we don't ever get a la- get out alive alone, do we? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah, no, it's it's so it's so very nice. Um and it definitely I, I'm definitely grateful for the amount of support I've had just doing this. Um because without it I definitely wouldn't be where I'm at. You know, and that's uh that's my parents, that's significant others, you know, all all sorts of stuff like that. Um, where just having a solid group of support around me like motivates me. So it's real nice. So what advice or encouragement do you have for somebody who has a great idea but they don't have a clue where to start? Hmm. Um start it. <laughs> uh I have uh, so that, this is actually an interesting process, trying to find the balance between I'm going to make sure I have every single thing keyed in about my project and I'm going to take 10 years to figure this out and never release anything being going from that phase to I have a cool idea. I'm just going to start it and not have any idea of like how this is going to work out long term. Finding that like balance in between is fairly tough, but also you can't figure that out until you've you know, by trial and error, you know, you can't figure it out until you've given it a shot. Um, so, and actually that was like re, uh, hired guns. I had an idea, launched it, saw how it went. Uh, it's had like several different reboots and incarnations. Um, and I actually in college worked alongside this amazing unicorn of a man. His name's Jonah. Um, and, uh, he's just like, he just has this zest for life. He's the coolest. And he's one of those people that will sit there and just work on a, com- uh, a concept for a while. Um, he was he had an entire year that we were in school together. He was working on this one piece. Um, and I actually saw how how much of the relationships and how much of the personalities and just how much stuff he had built for this world and how much I didn't know about hired guns. And that definitely went into when I was planning Rebomb. Rebomb was written in, actually, the original pitch was written in like three days because I was trying to pitch to a comic book company that didn't end up picking it up because it had been done in three days. Um, but uh, but, it, but after that, I took about six months and worked out, here's how long-term story is going to go. This is how the characters interact. Uh, I'm not terribly witty in the moment, so I just sat there for like a good six months and like made small lists of like comebacks and retorts and arguments that these characters could get into. <laughs> um, just, you know, because, you know, you get into like a spat with somebody you're like, oh, I could have said this. And that's that's when you write it down. <laughs> oh, what a neat hack. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're replaying conversations like I should have said this, then you capture it. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that definitely because uh, Adele in Rebomb is super, super sassy. Um, like she's just, she just has like comebacks for, for days. Um, and I'm not like that. So I literally like just made a list and there are, like there is a big file of rebomb that is just conversations. Um, and yeah, and those get like kind of just peppered in whenever I'm like, I need to like fill in space here. Or like, I need to get, you know, she's at point a, we need to get to point B so we can talk about this thing. 
I guess we'll just kind of, oh, here's here's one of these and just grab one of these items and shoehorn it in there and there we go. So you just keep a swipe file of conversations you wish you had. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, I actually wonder how many other creators do this because I feel like this happens fairly often, you know, like, ah, I could have been so much better if I could have said this. Like, I feel like I'm not the only person to write all that down. So where do you keep your swipe file? Is it on your phone? Is it digital? Is it a notebook? Is it the same place every time? Or are there little, what a friend of mine calls LPOPs, little pieces of paper everywhere? How does how does your swipe file oh, work? Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, is what I'm going to say to that. Um, because, yeah, like this entire studio, uh, look, I can actually grab, since we're on camera right now, um, this is my last project and for everybody at home. Like that is my last project. Wow. <laughs> um, I have, I have a huge, huge pile <laughs> of, uh, stuff that's been scribbled on and written and whatnot. There are two files on my phone and I've, I've even, I've been taking, you know, I've been at the grocery store, like taking, you know, just checking off my list on my phone and then I'll hear something and like write it down. And so in between apples and oranges is why didn't you say this back at the bar? <laughs> and I'm like, what, what is this? Two hours later. What is this? I don't know. So you swipe <laughs> conversations you've overheard in the grocery store. <laughs> oh, 100%. <laughs> that is fantastic. Oh yeah. All, <laughs> oh, all the time. Cause you, just, you hear the craziest stuff and you're like, what, what was that about? But, oh man, but you know, if that's because this person you know, did this, you know, you just, your, your brain just goes off on a tangent and then you all of a sudden you have like a mini comic that you're going to end up working on later. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And then there's a good uh, every rebomb file is there's a chapter and then there's that swipe file that I have full of, you know, here's my plot bunnies. Here's my conversations. You know, everything's going to be kind of keyed in here. So, yeah, it. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> I'm going to twist that question I just asked you just a little bit. What advice or encouragement do you have for somebody who has a great idea, but they are scared to death they'll fail? Um, so as far as being afraid of failure, um, the really cool thing about any up-and-coming business, um, I would say almost any, just because there's so many people out there with ideas and things that are starting up and you know, whatnot, uh, no one remembers anything. Like, I don't think anyone really remembers Hired Guns at this point. You know, it was a huge flop. Um, and no one comes up to me and is like, oh, hey, you're that failed cartoonist. <laughs> like, literally, just no one, you know, people are so wrapped up in whatever they're doing in their daily lives that if you have a cool idea and it flops, um, it just, it doesn't get, it just doesn't register. You know, people are are so much more concerned with what they are doing every day that, um, that they just, they're not going to make time to remember what someone else has been bad at. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, no one, no one remembers hired guns probably because all of those issues are like in someone's trash can somewhere, <laughs> um, uh, which is, which is cool because I have definitely handed that comic to like, huge people that I like seriously admire and little 19 year old Zoe was just like oh here take this and yeah hopefully none of those hopefully none of those are still around because good god they're so embarrassing um uh and by that same by that same token I have also I have met and I am saying met with huge air quotes here uh some of my 
very well-known uh, famous cartoonist a few times. Because remember what I just said a little while ago about how I don't remember people's faces and names because I meet 50 people a day? Same thing. So there's this one uh, cartoonist. Um, I won't mention him by name. He's dear. Uh, that I, I met him, told him I was a big fan, and he was like, oh, I'm so glad that you read my thing. Thanks for being a fan. And I was just like, oh, okay. Um, and like, and it was fine. It was just the way that the flow of that conversation worked. He definitely just sort of thought I was somebody who read his stuff, you know, not, not someone to be taken seriously. Um, and so then about, and, and not even like he wasn't arrogant about it. He just didn't register, you know, that I was a professional. So, uh, about six months later, I walk up to him and I'm like, hey, Bob, how's your con going? And he turns around like, oh, hey. And you can see in his eyes that he has no idea who I am. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I'm boothing over there. It's been you know, it's been kind of slow, but the people have been really great. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we just talk for a good 20 minutes. I shake his hand and I'm like, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm over in, you know, booth 1218. If you want to, if you're wandering around later, just come say hi. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I see him come up later, booth 1218. And he's just like, and, and as he walks up, he shakes my hand. And is like, oh, right. You do. I don't think I was doing Rebomb at that point. I think that may have been Higher Guns era. He's like, oh, right. You do these. Cool. I knew I'd seen you around somewhere. I, just, I couldn't quite remember, you know, when you were talking to me earlier. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, man. No big deal. <laughs> And ladies and gentlemen, that is how you con your way into meeting somebody. <laughs> well, but see, that's the thing. I was just thinking about that story, Zoe, and and I love that. It's not really a con. It's just that you didn't do the fangirl approach. Right. You approached as a colleague, and that's not conning your way in, in my opinion, ma'am. Thank you. Um yeah, no, one, and I think that leads back into the, again, walking into the room, you're just being like, yeah, I deserve, I deserve to be here. You should check out my stuff. Um, because yeah, because that, that was basically what I figured out in those two interactions was approaching somebody as like, oh my gosh, you're great. I'm so glad I get to meet you versus like, hey, how's it going? As your, as your fellow professional, what's up? Um, and yeah, and it's the way that you carry yourself and interact with people and whatnot that is just worlds apart um, the way you get treated. And, uh, and yeah, it's super, super important. Um, and also, like I said, it's just, it is kind of comforting how little people remember of an interaction that you might remember and be like, that was the worst thing ever. I'm so embarrassed. I can never talk to him again. Um, you know, yeah, it, uh, he didn't even register, you know, because it's like, because to him, he just met a fan, you know, that's not, you know, like that, that's, I didn't say anything embarrassing. Yeah, I just wasn't happy with the way I came off. And so then I just changed it next time I saw him again. And um, yeah, and that's, uh, that's so important, I think. Um, just sort of being being comforted just by the fact that like, which is weird, because you're basically taking comfort from like, I'm insignificant, so nothing I do matters anyway. But it's true. If you're just trying to break into the industry, you get a free pass in like almost everything. Because unless you slap an artist when you're trying to meet him or something you really can just like go back into it and no one will remember what you did last year and you're fine <laughs> so yeah so similarly um i think if you if you have i guess not not artists but uh just other businesses you're trying to you know, launch if you're trying to get them off the ground you have to rebrand um very few people will keep track of your 
journey, I guess. So you could really start fresh multiple times. So. That's great advice. Thanks. So where do you see Zuzu's cartoons in five years? Mm. Well, I would like to be um, published published by a publishing company because all of my stuff so far has been self-published. And that's kind of the next step for me is doing pitches, um, getting getting projects off the ground that aren't 100% me. So, yeah. And I, that's really, that's really the most I have, I think, at this point. I don't have a, a big project that I'm, you know, concerned with. I just, I just want to make stuff. I just want to pitch and get picked up somewhere. Yeah. Is there a book, a movie, TV show, website, an app, or a product that you recommend to fellow creatives? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. I plugged uh, WordPress Live a little bit earlier today. Um, yeah, I mean, my my first uh, several websites, my website currently is all WordPress, and I love it because you can do it on a budget. Um, yeah. Um, and, and software companies, like theme companies, they put their stuff on sale all the time. So even if you want like an $80 theme, you can usually obtain it somehow. Yeah, and sometimes you have to wait. I've definitely like kind of sat there and like waited for Black Friday for like a piece of software that I want. Um, like I have like a font company that I only buy from on New Year's because they sell fonts for like 20 bucks. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, so there's, yeah, with, with the right timing and the right YouTube videos and a little bit of coaching, uh, usually usually WordPress will come through. Um, and the cool thing about anything open source, um, and there's, there are animation softwares. Um, I don't remember what it's called, but the one that the Miyazaki studio uses is open source. Uh, open office is the equivalent of Microsoft word. Um, there are several programs that are trying to ape Photoshop right now. Um, I, I'm not as kept up cause I have, I have Photoshop. Um, but I know that there are programs that are kind of making their way, um, I guess like through, through the news these days, one's called Krita and it's in a Photoshop equivalent in, uh, in a browser. Um, but yeah, all, all open source stuff is a little bit harder to use, but way, way, way cheaper than whatever the industry standard is. And depending on what you're using, um, you can usually get, get by with that just fine. Cause like open office, not people can't people stray away from it because they're like, well, I only have word. And if I send open office to somebody who has word, they can't open it. You save it as a PDF and then everybody can read it. So there's things like that. that you, sometimes you have to hack a little bit. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, all open source software is like my jam. So, yeah. So you're doing some drawing on, um, procreate. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I guess the other, uh, the app that I would recommend is called procreate. Um, is, I had to get an iPad to handle it because I really like the iP- the Apple Pencil. Um, I think I actually noticed. Do you have one? I saw you gesturing earlier. Yes, yes, perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, I love the Apple Pencil. It's so nice. Uh, so, so if you have an iPad already, Procreate is like only six bucks. It saves after every single stroke, so you never have to worry about losing work. Um, and it's got like stupid high resolution. It's like a a square on Procreate is like 2000 pixels by 2000 pixels. So it's huge. I've drawn stuff and then had it like printed to, uh, to like a t-shirt or something without having to do any resizing, recoloring, any of that. Um, even Photoshop, you have to resize or recolor most things. So it's nice. 
so what else? What have I, what have I missed that you want to encourage people to do or that you want to brag on? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think just as far as encouragement, just people just need to try things more. Um, you get a lot more free passes in life than you are willing to give yourself. Uh, and I think, you know, if you have dreams, go for it. Um, so I guess that would be kind of my, my nugget of wisdom there at the end. And, uh, as far as bragging, um, they have issues. Volume two is in the works. We have not many details on what that's going to look like yet, but we're working on it. And, uh, and that will actually have a full cast of like editors and contributors. So it won't all just be me for this one. And, um, as far as my personal projects, Rebomb is chapter five is coming out sometime soon, probably end of this month or so. Um, and uh, I'm really excited for that. We are hitting the mid arc. So we're really going to get into the, the whole first four chapters have all been set up. Um, we get into like what's actually going on with the video game right now that's leaking out into the world. We get into all of the interpersonal drama. Um, there's some good stuff coming, you guys. So I'm super excited for you to check that out. Wow. I learned so much from Zoe that directly applies to my own business and my personal brand. I took some notes, and I'll be glad to share them with you. So all you got to do to get those notes, shoot a text to 44222, and then enter 000009. That's five zeros and one nine for episode nine. And then you'll be asked to enter your email address so that we can send you my notes from this episode and all of the business stuff that I learned from Zoe. And moms and dads, uh, a note. Check out Zoe's comic strips. Before you let your kids have a look, Zoe's audience lines up a little bit more with South Park and Adult Swim than, say, Pogo. And Tom Kirkham of Kirkham Systems, I sure do hope you like this episode. Thank you for supporting our show financially by way of Patreon. And if you're interested in helping us with this effort, check us out at patreon.com forward slash Winchell Story Works. A link is in the show notes. Hey, I'm Tracy Winchell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. We'd love to hear your reboot story privately on our StoryWorks blog or as a guest on an upcoming podcast. And we appreciate your feedback either in the iTunes store or by way of email. Drop us a line. Reboots at WinchellStoryWorks.com or on our website, WinchellStoryWorks.com.